Our text is from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, these words, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. So our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it is in Christ. It is in Christ that we have peace. Why? Why in Christ? Well, through in Christ we have peace with God, our Creator. Through Christ we have peace with God who made us. And if we have peace, and if we are at peace with the one who made us, we have peace. We have true peace. Well, through Christ, through faith in Christ, Christ's holiness and His righteousness, His goodness, it's credited to us so that God, our Heavenly Father, can now treat us as His sons and daughters. Not as sons and daughters who are profligate, like the prodigal son, Not as sons and daughters who are rebellious like Absalom. Not as sons and daughters who refuse to be disciplined in any way like the children of Samuel and Eli. But as sons and daughters who would please our Father in heaven by what we say and do. Although truth be told, our service before him, it's not perfect. It's not without flaw, not without mistake. So it's the blood of Christ shed for us, therefore, which does, in fact, cover our sins of imperfection so that our Father in heaven can be and is pleased with us, even in our imperfection. Now, now that peace, that peace with God, it, it should translate into something, shouldn't it? Shouldn't our peace with God translate into a peace, a peace with our fellow Christians? Well, that's what our text is about, the peace that was established between the pagans who became Christians and the Jews who became Christians, those who had been far from God and those who had been near to God and the peace that both received then through faith in Christ, the idol-worshiping pagan who became a Christian and the law-following Jew who became a Christian. That peace, that peace which both which both received through faith in Christ, it allowed them to be at peace with each other. For up until that time, they hadn't been at peace. The Jews, due to their money-handling skills, had been tolerated by the Greeks and tolerated by the Romans. The Greeks and Romans, who nonetheless thought the Jews a bit odd for worshiping only one God, for believing that there was just one God, The Jews, for their part, also looked askance at the Greeks and the Romans, going so far as to put a sign on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem, a warning carved into stone in Latin and in Greek, the letters highlighted with red, a sign that said, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade round the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. This warning posted on the temple in Jerusalem by the Jews was described by the historian Josephus way back, way back in the first century and was actually then found on the Temple Mount in 1871 by an archaeological expedition. Remember the riot that occurred in Acts 21 when it was thought that the Apostle Paul had brought pagans into the temple there in Jerusalem? A riot from which Paul himself had to be saved by Roman soldiers who were forced to carry him out of there? 
No, there was no love lost between the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews, but there was love that was found. Love that was found between the Greeks and Romans and Jews when they came to faith in Jesus Christ. For through faith in Christ, pagan worship in the temples for, the, for that purpose was abandoned and was the worship in the temple in Jerusalem, the one because it was wrong, the other because it was no longer needed. The Old Testament was finished. The New Testament was at hand. Christ himself had replaced that temple in Jerusalem. Now fast forward to today. Fast forward to today. What application could this text possibly have for us now? What application could it have? We are not Greeks. We're not Romans. We're not Jews. We've not generally abandoned another religion to embrace our life in Christ. But we do. We do. Each one of us, we do come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different experiences, different educations, different ethnic origins. Yes, we do come, all of us, from different lives. We come together in Christ and come together miraculously so in Christ. So the challenge for us, it would seem, is when we try to achieve a peace amongst Christians on the basis of anything else but Christ. That's the challenge. The challenge is when we try to achieve a peace among Christians on the basis of anything else but Christ. For we do, in fact, forge other types of peace in our lives, don't we? Peace like what we have in our families when we agree finally as to who sleeps in what rooms in the house, who does what chores and what should not be done and what should be done, all in order to achieve peace, peace in the family. There's that peace that we experience at work. Peace that is created by not only a a common goal having to do with the company's product, but with clearly defined duties and levels of responsibility among the workers. How about political peace? Political peace seems to be achieved when we find people of like mind with whom we can speak regularly, kicking around and assessing the news of the day and coming to a consensus of some sort as to how it should be viewed and what ultimately should be done. There's financial peace, too, isn't there? And I think we all know what that is, having as much coming in as is going out. Of course, all these types of peace are worldly pieces, we could say. They're not the peace of Christ, the peace that passes all understanding. In fact, these pieces of the world and our attempt to create them can actually work against, work against the peace which is ours through faith in Christ, the, pa- the peace which brings us together as the body of Christ, the peace which flows from our hearts because Christ himself is there. Christ is with us by means of his spirit, comforting and guarding and guiding us. So, It is, in view of that tension then, the tension between whatever peace of the world we're trying to establish at the moment and the peace of Christ, our peace in Christ, about which the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4. And this is what he writes there. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what's Paul saying? What's the Word of God telling us? That we are to bear with each other in love, in Christ, in the peace of Christ, 
as we all try daily to establish some sort of worldly peace within our own spheres of influence, within our families, and at work and among friends. Is that what Paul is saying? Well, yes. Yes, that's what he's saying. For do we ever catch ourselves thinking of another Christian? Well, they should do that. They should do this. Or something like, well, if they would have thought of X, then why wouldn't have happened? Or their problem, their whole problem is how they look at life in general. And yeah, it's true. It's true. It is their problem. And it will continue to cause problems for them. And yes, if they would have thought of X, then why wouldn't have happened? You're right. And yes, they should do this and they should do that. It's frustrating to see, sad to observe, overwhelming to contemplate. So the words of the Holy Spirit, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is, we don't allow our failed attempts at worldly peace or our daily struggles to achieve such peace destroy the heavenly peace that we have in Jesus Christ and the unity that flows from it among all Christians. You know, I have to marvel, marvel at times at the Americans, the Americans I got to know when we lived in Germany. Americans I would have never met nor kicked around with or become friends with had we run into each other here in the States. We kicked around with quite a diverse group of Americans politically there all over the spectrum and different in many other ways too. So what brought us together? What brought us together? Well, our common origin, our common birth, our common life as Americans, as Americans in a sea of Germans. What a joy it was to find someone with whom we could speak English and to whom we didn't have to explain the littlest aspects of American life like whipped cream in a spray can. We had at the end of the day in our common culture and language and country so much in common. We could easily steer away from topics that we knew would cause trouble, and we did. Why? Because our fellowship, our unity as Americans living in a foreign country was so much more important than anything else. We could bear with each other in love, really, when it came to differences of which there were many. So in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, brought together the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans into a new reality, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. We too are brought together, no matter what our background, into that same reality. We are all children of our Heavenly Father, citizens of the kingdom of God, living from day to day, living in the kingdom of this world. A foreign kingdom, really, for us. And that being so, it should be our joy daily, too, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bear with one another in love, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We rise and confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.